Well, we have just finished um, a series last week called He Gets Us. And next week we're going to start our summer series, which is we're going to be journeying with, the, with uh, Paul as he journeyed in the book of Acts and looking at how it applies to our life today and what God might be saying through that. But today, today we're going to just do a, a one-off, a standalone. And um, I have done something today I don't usually do, and that is title my message. And the title of it is this, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop running. What do you think about when you uh, hear that word running? Like what, what uh, emotions does it conjure up or what, what uh, pictures do you see when you think of running? Were you a runner? You probably don't know it now, you wouldn't guess it, but back in elementary school I used to do cross country and track. And... Uh, I remember some of my favorite times running would be at recess time. And we, me and my friends, we'd be running around, you know, playing tag. And I have a lot of good memories about running at recess. But, you know, not all of my memories of running are pleasant. I remember as a kid, there was a time in our lives as a family, we, we rented this old farmhouse. And the, the landowner, he lived, the landlord, he lived next door. He was a farmer. And one day we decided, my parents did, that this summer we were going to plant a vegetable garden. And so we, they decided they wanted their vegetable garden, a little one out in the front yard. But the only thing was, in the way of where they wanted that garden, there was this big old stump from a tree that had been cut down like decades ago. My dad thought, you know, that tree's been there a long time, that stump, and it's getting rotten it won't be that hard to pull it out, right? Let's just pull it out. So I remember one Saturday, he called over to the, our landlord, who had a tractor, his name was Percy, and he said, could you come and pull out this stump with your tractor? And so I remember the day, it was sunny, and we came out, or Percy came over with his tractor, and if you don't know anything about me as a little boy, I love tractors, you know? And if I knew there was a tractor gonna be in our front yard, I was gonna be right up there where the action is as close as I can without getting in the way. And so Percy comes over with his tractor and he wraps that chain around the stump and he gets back on the tractor and he starts to pull and sure enough, it's starting to break free because it's so rotten. And I'm just taking all this in, standing a little ways off and all of a sudden, I start to feel pain. Any ideas why I started to feel pain? Well... As Percy started, you know, moving around that stump, it seems that a nest of hornets or wasps uh, didn't like that. And so, of course, they come out ready to attack. And who should be standing right at the front door but little old me? And so I just have this, you know, this quick thought, oh, no wasps, hornets, and I just start to run, run and scream and cry, and I'm running around the back of the house just trying to get away from these bees. They're getting, like, under my shirt, and, you know, hornets, they don't die after they sting you. They're not like honeybees. <laughs> they just keep going, and as I'm screaming and running, I can faintly hear my mom in the background as she's chasing after me. She says, take your clothes off. And somehow or other, I'm just starting to like rip off my shirt and pants. And I can't remember if I got naked or not, but let me be honest with you. It didn't matter. <laughs> I didn't care one bit. If 
finally, like I get my clothes off and finally the, the hornets, they disappear and my mom like gets there and she finally like rushes me up into the bathtub, puts me in it, calls up a paramedic friend of hers to see what we should do. And thank goodness I'm not allergic to those things. Because when I counted afterwards, I could like count at least 13 stings over, over my body. I'll guarantee something. You can run a lot faster than you think you can when hornets are chasing you. <laughs> Isn't life kind of feel like we're running sometimes? In a figurative sense, right? Some of us, in life, we're running towards a dream or a goal we have, and that's what our focus is on. Or some of us are just, we're just trying to stay above water, so to speak, and it just feels like you're just going full steam just to try to stay on top. I think that all of us here today, we have a focus in our lives. Some of us focus on, you know, what our future is. Some of us focus on other people, maybe our kids. That's kind of what our focus is. Some people, some of us, we, we focus a lot on ourselves. And it's all about us and what makes us feel good. We focus on all different sorts of things in life. But I'm wondering today, what do you do when you're running through life? You just, you know, keeping to yourself, head down, pushing through, and all of a sudden, you get interrupted. What if you got interrupted by God? Have you ever been interrupted before? You know, you weren't, think, you weren't planning on this thing, and all of a sudden, this thing just gets in your way. I think, what's the best interruption I can think of in the last couple of years? COVID-19. Talk about being interrupted. I'm sure a lot of us had plans for 2020, and uh, how'd that go? We were forced, the world shut down, and we were forced to, you know, for a time, just to stick in our homes. We were forced to stop what we were doing because we were interrupted. How about, how about health scares? They have a nasty habit of interrupting our lives as well. I was talking to a man a few weeks ago, and he said that late last year, he had a very serious health scare. And, you know, he said, you know, the writing had been on the wall. He knew he wasn't, you know, living a healthy life. He wasn't exercising and eating right. But as often we do, just like, you know, when the service engine light comes on on the dash, we just ignore it and say, oh, we got, we got time. We can keep going. And sure enough, this guy just kept going. And then finally he had this very um, serious health scare. And he told me, he's like, looking back, I feel that that was God's wake-up call for me. And sometimes, you know, he said, sometimes little things, like God just tapping you on the shoulder, it's not enough. It needs to be something big. And since that scare he had, he's now, like, changed his diet. He's changed exercising. He's lost a whole lot of weight. He's, like, a totally different person because of that wake-up call that he had. And I'm wondering today, when we get interrupted by, say, God, what do we do? Do we just keep on pushing Ignore it? Or do we turn and see what he has to say today? Another example would be, if someone calls you on your phone, do you always pick up? Or does it depend who it is? Does it depend on what you're doing in that moment? I want to talk to you all today about a guy in the Bible who... God interrupted and upset his perfect little world. And what he did as a response to it, because I believe it's a story not just about this person, but it's a story of our own lives. And his name is Jonah. 
And I want to take you to the book of Jonah today, Jonah chapter 1. And Jonah, for those of you who don't know, he was an Old Testament prophet, which meant that he had um, this distinction of being one of the people that God would speak to in order to tell everyone else. He was God's spokesperson, so to speak. And in the Old Testament, not everyone was able to hear from God as clearly as a prophet was, and that's why they were there. This was his job. And one day, you know, Jonah is just going through his life, and God interrupts him. And God says, Jonah, I've got, I've got a mission for you. I've got something I want you to do. Have you ever had or felt like God has kind of just interrupted you and said, hey, I want you to go do that? Well, for Jonah, what God said is, I want you to go to this far-off city, this great city called Nineveh in a neighboring country, and I want you to go there and warn them that if they don't um, repent, if they don't stop their wickedness, if they stop, don't stop doing evil things, they are going to be destroyed. Simple enough, right? That, you would say that that falls in the job description of a prophet, right? <laughs> Go tell people what God is saying. Simple. Easy. I sometimes love how nonchalant the scriptures can be. Sometimes they just, sometimes they just say the facts and I sometimes have to chuckle because this is what Jonah did afterwards after he'd heard God's command. In verse three, he says these words. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. And in case we were still not quite getting it, it says, to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Try to say that 10 times fast. (laughs) He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. In case you think that, you know, sometimes the Bible exaggerates a little on what it means, like he went in the opposite direction, I thought I'd pull up a map for you just to kind of show. So if you see the the short arrow to Nineveh, that's where God wanted him to go. It says around 550 miles. And he immediately decided that a far better option would be for him to get on a boat and head as far away as he could possibly go. You know, 2,500 miles compared to 550. And isn't it so easy to just kind of to chuckle when you see that? You're like, really, Jonah? Really? But don't we do this in our lives sometimes? We will, just like Jonah, spend twice the amount of work and effort and put it in to do what God doesn't want us to do instead of just doing what he asks of us. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have had times where we will put twice the effort in, let's get specific, to like hide those texts or to clear off that search history or to stay in that relationship that you are pretending is great and God wants it and you know it's not true and we will do all that because We just have this problem believing that God's way is best. Jonah did what often you and I have done today, and that is he decided to run from God. I've learned through experience and through observation that it doesn't matter how far along you are spiritually 
to still have a place where you get to where you may feel cold and far off from God and your heart gets cold to him. It doesn't matter how, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been to Bible college or it doesn't matter if you have reverend in front of your name. No one is too far to think that, oh, I'm beyond rejecting God. I'm beyond that. Like, my heart is his. It's something we should always be mindful of. I... I had a moment like that back in 2018. In 2018, I had just finished my third year of Bible college, and so I had one more to go. And I was just come out of like this time. It wasn't an easy season, but it was one of those seasons where you felt really close to God, like you were praying a lot, mainly out of desperation, but you still were praying, and you felt closer to God. I'd just come out of that, and then the summer hit, and I went back home. No more chapels, no more Christian community. All that stuff was gone for the summer. And I can't say what happened or how it happened, but over that summer, five years ago, I felt my heart began to grow cold towards God. And over that summer, you know, I was, I was at a Bible college. I had plans to go into ministry. And yet over that summer, I noticed that my plans started shifting and thinking, oh, once I'm done this degree, all I, like, I gotta go figure out how to make money or how to do this. My heart was growing cold to him. Isaiah 29, 13 says these words, and it described me in that time. It said, so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. And I tell you, I was still going to church. I still said I believed in God, of course. I honored him with my lips, but my heart was far from him, and I somehow was getting cold towards him, and not just him, but also those around me. And um, it's not my favorite moment of my life, but like I just pulled away from everything. I broke up with my girlfriend who just happens to be Melissa. Um, So there was a second part of that story. (laughs) I left her, I dumped her off in Ontario and just kind of left her there and didn't really feel bad about it. And that's the scariest thing. You know, it's a bad place to be. When you feel far from God, it's a scary place to be when you don't care either way. And I went back to school that fall, still feeling this kind of hazed overness, this callousness, and um, if it wasn't for something that happened in the, the late fall, God, within 24 hours, like, he melted me down. I'm so thankful because I don't know if I would have got out of it any other way. And I tell you this story today just because here we have a prophet. You could call him reverend. You could say he was a pastor or a minister, a man of God, and here is someone who seems to be in the same boat, that when God says something, he's got rebellion in his heart. He's closed over. He's hardened. I was interested to see, you know, I was thinking, how far would it take for Jonah to walk from his home down to the ocean to get on that boat? And you're going to notice I seem to like maps today because I got another one for you. I think. (laughs) 22 and a half hours walking down to Joppa, roughly. That's not including sleep. 
That's not including, you know, your meals and when you stop to rest. That's just 22 and a half hours of straight walking to get to that. But why do I mention that? Because he had 22 and a half hours of just being with himself, thinking and reflecting on his decision to run from God, and he stayed hardened the whole way through, you know? Sometimes we do stuff and then, you know, a few hours later, a day later, we're like, hmm, that maybe wasn't the best decision. And we come back and think it through, but not Jonah. And how often are we sometimes like that? We are just so bent and bound that we know what's best, and we just keep pushing through. You're going to hear all my sad relationship stories today. I'm sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) just the way it works. (laughs) In grade 12, I I dated this girl. Her name was Erin. And she was a great girl. And there's nothing wrong with her at all. But I knew I wasn't supposed to date her. Why? Well, she wasn't a Christian. And I was. And I'm not saying that Non-Christians are less than in no way, shape, or form. But there is a verse in the Bible that says it's probably best not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever because just naturally, if one has ideas this way and one has ideas this way, you can't really pull together, right? I knew this. I knew this in my head. But I let my heart get the best of me. And so we dated, of course, but we had very different worldviews, very different paths. And of course, what happens is uh, eventually all good things come to an end. And I was just left brokenhearted, all because I seem to have this problem. Maybe you've had it too. This idea that the best things happen when we do it God's way. I don't know if anyone needs reminded of those words right now, again today, that the best things happen when we do it God's way. And it doesn't seem like Jonah's heart knew that as well. He maybe knew it up here, but he didn't know it down in his heart. And so he gets on that boat, and they start heading off across the Mediterranean, and it says what? It says God sent a storm. Another way of saying it might be God was trying to get Jonah's attention. Could it be in your life, in times past or maybe even right now, that some of the storms in your life are actually God trying to get your attention? You know, we've, he's been calling us, so to speak, and tapping us on the shoulder, but we just haven't been paying attention. We just are insistent to do it our way. And so he sends storms to try to bring us back to, to, to actually acknowledge God in those moments. And we see here, when the storm comes, the storm, by the way, is one of those storms that lifelong sailors get freaked out about, you know? You're on the water all your life, and when you see this type of storm, you're like, we're done for. There's no way out of it. And finally, Jonah starts to, his heart starts to turn a bit. He starts to realize that, hmm, maybe this wasn't the best decision. And so he tells the other sailors, he's like, guys, this storm is my fault. This is what it says in verse 10. It says, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? 
Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault, but instead the sailors, they rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. I'm sure those sailors were trying to be nice guys and not throw him overboard, but yet we still see this idea of like, let's try to do it our own way. Have you ever got yourself in a mess and said, it's okay, I can fix this? Maybe God's not wanting you to fix it. Maybe he's wanting you to look to him, to surrender to him, to let him take care of it all. And so finally, those sailors with nothing else to do, they throw him overboard. And all of a sudden, just like that, the, the, the storm stops. And Jonah starts going down and down and down into the sea. Does Jonah die that day? Does he drown? No. Why not? This is the part some of us know from Sunday school. God sent this big fish to swallow him up and spit him out back on land a few days later. But I just want us to dwell on that question for a moment. Why did God rescue Jonah? Why would God rescue a disobedient prophet? Sometimes I think we read these Bible stories a little too quickly sometimes, and I've been guilty of it as much as anyone. Sometimes we think that God sent that storm to punish Jonah. You know, if you've ever had that idea of God, like Jonah says, I'm going to get away from you, God, and God's like, oh, no, you don't. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to punish you for doing that. Sometimes we get that feeling that God is using a storm to punish us. And yet if you read this story closely, you'll realize that that isn't what God is doing at all, but God is actually rescuing Jonah from a situation his disobedience created. God is using the storm to rescue Jonah. I think in my life a few times where I was heading down a wrong path and I'm so thankful that God kind of cut me off at the pass, so to speak, and I didn't keep going down that route because my plans were not gonna lead me into a good place. God used the storms in our lives sometimes to rescue us from what we had intended in our own lives. I wanna say this, that God is actually, God is chasing after you to show you his mercy, not his wrath. God is chasing after you to show you his mercy, not his wrath. I think someone needs to hear that today because if God had wanted to punish Jonah, he should have let him drown, right? Could have punished him, made him suffer a little bit. But he didn't do it because... God loved Jonah too much to let him go. And I'm telling you today, he loves you and I too much to let us go. He chases after us because he wants to show us his love and his mercy. How often are we just like Jonah where God says something specific for us to do and we either just shove it off or you know, make up excuses of why that's not God and just don't do it, we ignore it and we just turn, we just turn and run. But even in your running, God won't stop 
pursuing you today. We often just try to do it our own way and think, oh, my way's best, but how often does it not always leave us feeling empty and unfulfilled at the very end of it all? Today I want, I want to talk to three types of people today in regards to this story. The first, the first group of people is, you're like Jonah right now. You know, you're still on the run, so to speak. And God's been trying to get your attention. But for whatever reasons, you've been just pushing it off to the side, trying to ignore it, trying to keep going on your own path. And God is there wanting to change your life, wanting to bring you back to him. He's there right behind you no matter how far or how far you've run from God, no matter how much you have done, and you think, oh, I could never come back to God. I'm too far gone. I'm a lost cause. No matter how far you run, the Lord is right behind you. And he has his hand extended and saying, would you just trust me and let me pull you out? Let me give you new life. Let me change your heart. Let me cleanse you and forgive you. Don't run like Jonah did anymore. I'm here. The second group of people I'm speaking to today is some of us, we have turned. We've had a turning point, so to speak, and we have turned, but only part way. What do I mean by that? If any of you have ever dated somebody, again, relationships, what's going on? No one just wakes up one day and they're dating somebody, right? There's a little bit that happens beforehand. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, maybe you guys like catch eyes with each other and you're interested and so maybe you, one of you gets the confidence to try to go talk to the other person or, you know, go on a date or go on something. And at that point, you know, you start to realize, hey, both of you kind of like each other, but you're still at that awkward stage where no one really wants to say like and talk about the elephant in the room and so you're just kind of being awkward about this relationship. But finally, the day comes when every relationship has to have the DTR talk. Do you know what the DTR talk is? It's time to define the relationship, <laughs> right? There comes a point where someone's got to muster up the confidence to say, so are we, are we a thing? Can I change my Facebook status from single to in a relationship? Because that's very important. <laughs> Some of us, with our walk with God, we kind of need to make it official, so to speak. Some of us maybe have, you know, we've started coming to church or come back to church after a very long time, and we kind of like, we like the vibe here, you know, we like the people, and maybe even like the idea of what Christianity stands for. But we haven't crossed the threshold, so to speak, and actually ever made that point in saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse me from the inside out? Some of us, we haven't done what it says in Romans, you know, to uh, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, our Lord, and then we will be saved. Some of us today, we haven't quite got past that next step of where it says you should be baptized, publicly declaring that, like, we're in it with Jesus. He's my Savior. It's official. I'm making it public now. Some of us need to make our walk with God official. We need to turn fully. Finally, 
There's a group of you here that the whole time you've been saying, "Uh uh-huh, I've done that. I've done that, Pastor. You know, I've done that. So what does this message have to do with me? Well, if you have walked with God for any length of time, you probably come to the realization that sometimes more than one turning point is necessary. Sometimes, even for some of us who've walked with God a long time, there are still little places in those dark corners of our heart where we are still in open rebellion with God. And we'll say, God, you can have all of this, but let me keep my little closet. You know, the the one you shove all the stuff in and close the door hoping nothing falls out. It's time for a turning point today. God asked Jonah something. What has God been asking of you in these last days, weeks, and months? Have, have you known there's something you should have done, but you still haven't done it? Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of something, but you still keep ignoring him? Today, my challenge for us all is to respond to God today. He's calling us. I know he's calling all of us because that's what, that's what God does. That's who he is. He pursues us. He wants us to know more of him. He wants us to surrender everything to him. But the question is, when he does call, if we're going back to this phone analogy, do we pick up immediately and have a turning point or do we just let it ring and say, I'll get it later? If there's anyone in this room today that has something to repent of God for, to God, if, is there any place in your life where you've been running from God? Because he's calling us back today. It's time to stop running away from him And let's run to him. Let me pray for you guys and myself. Father, I know that you've been even speaking to me about things that I haven't surrendered to you. There have been times and places in my heart and in my life where I have walked, I have walked like Jonah. I ran the other way. And God, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that is on the run right now. God, would you forgive us if there's anything in our hearts that is not right? Would you allow us to trust you that the best things happen when we do it your way? Whatever that next step is, Lord, I just pray that you would enable us and strengthen us to do it, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much it insults our pride, no matter what, that we would be able to just say, God, I'm not going to run away anymore. I'm going to run to you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word that still speaks and that the life of Jonah oftentimes is really just our lives. Thank you for your mercy. Amen.